Okay, my let's keep it real people. I have to admit something because I have to keep it real. I was a little heebie-jeebie, a little nervous about interviewing my guest today. Why? Because she's incredible. She's awesome. She's amazing. What she's done in the world of well-being and self-care for the individual and the corporation. Oh, that's all I have to say. Amazing. Amazing. And everyone says, well, Sandy, but you've been doing this forever. What could you possibly learn? What could I possibly learn? The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. True that. I have so many takeaways that I apply to my own life immediately. Now, some you're like, oh yeah, I knew that, but maybe you need reminders. I know you're going to love this. You're going to love her for sure. You're going to want to share it because you love sharing these episodes. There's going to be so many people that will appreciate this and get a lot of value out of it. Like it, rate us. You know how much I appreciate that. I'm so grateful for that. Here's one little thing that I'll tell you before you start listening. You ready? Mm. That's my power pause. I'm not going to tell you anymore. I'm not going to tell you anymore. Have fun. Enjoy. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. (gasps) Take a deep breath in, my Let's Keep It Real people. I am so pumped. For my next guest, and I'm going to let her say it too, but not yet, because she has such a beautiful voice and accent, Jeanette Bronet. Now listen, that's all kinds of ugly, so I'm going to just have her come in right away. Jeanette, welcome to the show, and please say your name. Thank you so much, Jeanette Bronet. Oh, God. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. I could, just, I could just listen to you talk all day. And she's from Denmark. But before we go into that, let me tell you a little bit. I watched her stuff forever. Jeanette helps companies and leaders bridge the wellness gap at work by rethinking performance, engagement, and culture so they can prevent a burnout. Do we need that now? Create better results and sustainable success. She teaches how to shift from a burnout culture operating on survival mode, not that we know anybody like that, to one that honors and nourishes our diverse human needs through better self-care mindset tools at work. You know, she's preaching to the choir. She believes it's essential for leaders to ask better questions to build the emotional safety that helps people harness their potential and take charge not only of their health, but also their personal and professional success. A most wanted workplace performance and well-being expert, she speaks, coaches, and consults about how to create better relationships and engagement in a disconnected workplace by understanding what truly drives our choices and how a culture of care is essential core value for companies to drive their changing future of work. 
She has spoken, which I saw it and I was like, I want to be there. She has spoken at the United Nations and delivered TEDx talks and keynotes at conferences and corporate events around the world to facilitate change in our relationship with self-care at work. And how freaking lucky are we to have her here? Welcome, Jeanette. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to have this conversation and see where it leads us. Well, let me tell you, we're going to first thing we're going to start with is a word. I love words, Jeanette. So if you were going to think of one word, good, bad, or ugly, that best describes your past 30 days, what would that word be and why? Curiosity, I think, is always my word, no matter where I am at. And I was just pausing there for a moment because the last 30 days has also been about really exploring pausing. So I had a hard time choosing between the two. But oh. since pausing is the foundation for curiosity, how about we choose pausing after all? Okay. And, um, you know, I just think that we need that so much more, that pause to create a little bit of space so that we can breathe, create that little bit of space so that we can think and create that little bit of space so that we can connect better. And I think we're getting to our edges of of that. So I think I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm choosing pausing as my word. I like it. <laughs> and you know, this is boggling my brain. So everywhere we look, and people send me books all the time, it's slow down. You know, you learn when you're quiet. I never learned anything while my mouth was moving. You know, go off mindfulness, take time for yourself, right? And yes. everyone that I speak to, says to me, I know it logically, but I don't practice it. And there's a disconnect there. I can't tell you so many of my clients that come on, they know it, they've gone to the seminars, they've gone to the yoga retreats, but their biggest question, Jeanette, for you is, how do I take it from knowing to practice? The practice is the challenge because it's all about the the habits and it's all about, you know, creating new routines and so on and so forth. So what I tend to focus on is the mindset first and really truly ask are we ready to do all the small things that creates a new practice? Because I think so often we push ourselves to, oh, I need to do this, this, and this, mm -hmm. or maybe even just one thing that we need to do. And the reality is that if we're not pausing and really paying attention and asking, hey, what do I need right now so that I can, whatever it is that's right ahead of us, that is not going to come to mind. So you're kind of asking the million dollar question because it is about what comes first, right? Yeah. And um, one of the things I think is important is that we really connect with why it matters to us and how it could create change and impact our lives. Because once we start really digesting that, really looking at that rather than just I should, I should, I should, but really Ugh. looking at what, what, what would my day look like? What would I feel like? What kind of difference would that make in my life? If we were to ask those questions, then we would connect with something in ourselves, which is more of that felt sense that right now we're not connecting to and therefore feel so disconnected from ourselves. And we get stuck in the mind of, of, or the thinking of I should do this. But the mindset that comes back home and into, well, how would this make me feel and pause for long enough to really digest that? I think that's where we can start creating change. But I'm not going to tell you that I have the magic bullet because I don't. <laughs> yes, I think you would have started with that if you did, right? Exactly. I would be like, yeah, just do this. Just yeah. do that. Yeah, I love yeah. it when people just do because yeah. it makes you feel so like, okay, fine. You have the answer. I don't. And it's so easy for everyone else, but not for me. And so when, when we get just it by people, it, it just really is so demoralizing. 
Oh my God. So, you know, I've been in the health club business forever. And when somebody would say to a client, well, just stop eating. I just wanted to take their head and bang it against the wall. Like seriously. Right. You're right. That's the magic. Just stop eating. You want to lose weight? You know, just don't eat and move. Okay. And if that worked, if the just worked, then we would have been justified long enough and long, long time ago to, to like, what it is that's really going on inside of us. So, you know, that just thing that that really gets us out of what it really takes. And I think that's the real conversation we need to have. What does it really take to create change, to 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 shift our mindset, to all of those things? It I think we've been glorifying how easy and like just do this it is. And therefore, we should ourselves for not doing it and should doing it, all of this stuff that gets in the way. And um, instead of really sitting down and looking at the process of change and what that would look like in all the little micro steps and all yeah. the little micro things. And then we can start just taking one little thing at a time. It's like expecting the puzzle to be done just because we know what it's going to look like rather than having to sit there and find every single little piece and put it in the right spot. Well, you know, I sent out to my listeners a bunch of questions and, hey, what do they want to ask Jeanette? And the thing that came back the most is the self-care. Okay, they know they should take care of themselves, but they can't get rid of this idea of they should struggle. And if they're not struggling, they're not a great business person or a great parent or a great friend. And they don't know how to get rid of it. Yeah, it's such a such a social guilt trip, isn't it? Yeah. That success means struggle. And listen, it does, just not that kind of struggle because it, it, it does take effort. So there's a difference between struggling and effort is number one, right? And I think of effort as paying attention and being present okay. and, and, and being mindful and, and caring about something. That's, that's effort. But the struggle that we have gotten so conditioned to is stress and not having enough time and juggling several balls. That's the kind of struggle that we've learned to accept as the staircase to success. Yes. And you feel guilty. Yeah. And you feel guilty if you don't struggle. You feel guilty if you take a little time for yourself and you like all of it. Right. And it's, it's, if we really think about it, it's just really unfair because we want so much from people. We want so much from ourselves. And if we really asked, Hey, what would it, what, what, what would it take for me to really do a good job here? I think we already know that pushing harder isn't actually the answer. Yeah. I think yeah. we know it. And so really divorcing ourselves from this social expectation and then the, then the messages we have grown, grown up with and that's flying all around us and really is one of the reasons why I do this work is to really change that kind of atmosphere and culture in the workplace. Yeah. Because it's unfair that we have to lose our health to gain success. It's, yeah, unfair is probably the best word for it. Yeah. And yet, I, I also understand, I, I understand that we're still there. I, I do. I think COVID was part of a, you know, obviously really, really not something we needed, yeah. but it was something we needed from the perspective of rethinking work. That's true. Because we were just running, we were just running to keep up and we were not questioning the way we work. 
at all. We were questioning ourselves and, and thinking we weren't working well enough and good enough and hard enough, but we weren't questioning if the way we solve problems, the way we work, the way we connect with each other, what's the best way to do that? We, we, didn't, we didn't ask that question. We just kept running. And so in that way, this is opening up a whole new conversation. And, and that's why I don't want to lose track of that conversation. I, I, I think we should all not there. I don't, I don't mean that kind of should, but we, we, we really all deserve. And, and therefore, um, if we could all want to keep that conversation going and, and, and really focus on the importance of that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and that, yeah. and that's why we're here today, right? That's part of why we're we're doing this today is because we care. We care about changing that dynamic. Oh, so important. And guess what? I had a lot of friends quit their jobs. They're like, "What am I doing this for? I don't feel like I'm passionate or I have a mission." And uh, one guy just said to me, "I realized my boss wasn't treating me well. I'm out. I'll find another job." And he said, "Covid changed my mind." It it has it has you know that that's what many years ago changed my mind, right? It, it had me pause and say, okay, how do I do work better in a way that's satisfying and nourishing and healthy? And at the same time is allowing me to pursue some of the ambitions and goals that I do have. And that was when my parents died. Both of them died of cancer a year apart. I had been the caregiver for my father for the last five months before he was dying. And a lot of what we talked about was we didn't really say was it worth it, but what he did say was, you know, I could have worked more, I could have worked harder, could have done all of those things. But what I really am thinking about right now is I, I, I would have liked to travel more. I would have liked to commit more with that because I thought I had time. I thought that I had time once I retired, and here I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm dying instead, so to speak, right? And and it was like really a wake up call for me to be like, oh, wait a minute. You know, um, how, how do we rethink the way we live our lives and work is part of that and, and, and really look at what makes us happy as human beings? Um, and part of that is success at work. So let's not kid ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think, oh, by the way, I'm going to go right into this question that you have to have some earth shattering experience this young lady wants to know to finally take care of yourself. Ooh, unfortunately, that's often how it happens, to be honest. And I will also say that fear is not a sustainable motivator. Care is. Yeah. And that is what I've learned over all these years of working with people that would come to me and say, look, I, I'm burning out. Um, I don't feel that I'm productive or efficient at my job. I don't know if I have to quit because I'm also not, you know, all the signs of, of, of burnout. You know, I'm not motivated. I don't you know, I don't, I don't know that I really care anymore. What should I do kind of thing? I, I need to take better care of myself. And they would come and they would want to take better care of themselves. And then they would go back to work. And then it would just be the same, you know, for lack of a better word, shit show as it always was, right? And I yeah. realized that it's, it's our mindset and our relationship with work that needs to change. And our relationship with ourselves from the perspective of standing up for ourselves and say, I'm sorry, this is the way I can work better. But and this is therefore what I need, like we, we need that cause and effect and, and bring that into the equation. But what I have also seen is a lot of people would come and they would have had the diagnosis. And for a while, they would really have that priority of themselves. But either they get better or they get, I wouldn't say lazy, but they get sucked yeah. back into to the workflow. And, you know, the, the, the self-care drops to the sideways and, and we abandon ourselves once again. And, and so when we're driven by fear, it's not sustainable. 
And unfortunately, mm. that's a lot of what work is about, right? We're afraid that we're not good yep. enough. We're afraid we're not going to meet the deadline. We're afraid that our boss is going to yell us at. We're afraid. Like, fear is driving us so much in the workplace rather than really connecting with what we care about. And that's where that, you know, people are discovering, well, I don't want to work here anymore because I don't really care about what the company does. People don't care about me. I'm not treated as a human being. And so yeah, we, yeah. if we can slow down and recognize that. And so when, when something big happens in our lives, like either we get a diagnosis or we lose somebody we care about, or, you know, maybe we just, you know, get exposed to COVID and yeah. we realize yeah. that yeah. health is important. You know, yes, those wake up calls can help us sort of shift and say, wait a minute, this this is important. I care about something else now. And can we hold on to that? Uh, can we really care about that and remind ourselves every day what we care about? Then we have a better chance for change, right? But do we need that wake-up call? Well, can can we ask ourselves those questions without having something hanging over our head? I hope so. Yeah, me too. I, I hope so. Uh, and maybe this uh, podcast will, will help help do that for some people and really say, oh, you you know what? That's, that's right. I, I can pause now and ask myself, what do I really want and how can I get it and what do I need so I can? You know, that, 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 <sighs> may, be, so. that, that may be something. We may see something and it just is something that sparks this thing inside of us that reminds us of what we care about. So I don't think it has to be a big um, sort of hit in the face or over the head or something like that. It could just be a conversation with somebody. Yeah. Well, I was watching some of your stuff, by the way. Brilliant. Love you. Entertaining, fun, and so message-driven. I love what you said. I hope I don't get it wrong about, like, now and then, talk to your body. Yeah. I, I love that. Like, ask your body. Like, who does that? Like, what do you need today? So do you do that every day? Like, Yes, I do. I wake up that way. Do, tell us more. Tell us about your morning routine. Yeah. The, I wake up and, and the first thing I do is just lay in my bed with my hands on my core, like my core, like over my heart and over my belly. And, and I just check in and I just notice how am I in there? Like, how do I feel? Where am I stiff? What do I need? And then I might think about, okay, what do I need to do today? So what do I need so I can do that? Sometimes I'm like, okay, I need to just get going. And sometimes I'm like, I need to stretch a bit. Sometimes I, I, I choose what I eat for breakfast based on what I need to do in the morning. Do I have a speaking engagement? Do I, do I have to write? Do I have, like, what do I have to do? And then I basically ask inside, like, okay, what will help me? be at my best right now based on whatever it is I have going on. And some days I don't feel great. And then I'll ask the same question. What do I need yeah. so I can feel just a little bit better? And maybe that sometimes is just take it easy this morning, go for a walk with your dog and don't worry so much. And, you know, whatever it is, it, it, the more we can start having that really kind and curious conversation with our, with ourselves, with our core, it's not so much the body as a physical object it's more the body as in the wholeness of who we are yeah right yeah. so it could be yeah. physical it could be that physical i'm a little achy or stiff it could be the you know i i wake up in fear a lot so it's just something i've learned to come to terms with and so if i wake up in fear i'll just be like okay what's going on and i don't need to figure out why because listen i it's just part of who I am. Uh, at this point, I've come to acknowledge yeah. that. And, just, and it's not necessary. It's not necessary. Right. And it's not like I don't have to figure out, oh, what am I scared of today? What am I? Because I know what it is. It's like the same old, it's the survival mode kicking in. 
I don't have family in this country. My parents are gone. I'm not married. All of those things. And I'm like, dang, I need to be able to take care of myself. So I know yeah. what the fear is. The fear is to be, yeah. you know, ending up in a cardboard box. So I don't have to start trying to figure it out. What I know is that I can ask, okay, what do I need so I can feel a little bit more calm today, secure today? What do I need so that I can feel a little bit more um, at my, like, at my sort of like ace, like whatever that looks like, right? So sometimes that is empowered. So how do I, how can I remind myself today that I got this? I'm, I'm okay. And maybe sometimes I need to call the bank and be like, am I okay? <laughs> you know, like, I think fear is information. Absolutely. You know, and, and as long as we don't get stuck in the story of it, but use it and just be like, okay, what do I need to pay attention to right now? You know, I ride a motorcycle. If I had no fear, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get on my bike and be like, okay, uh, it's been raining. Let me be careful. I'd just go. And that would be, you know, the, uh, listening to our fear without believing the story of the fear, but just the emotional yes. felt yes. sense of it is how we can regain our, our sense of power, reclaim our sense of power and have some agency rather than feeling that we're being uh, sort of dragged around by our emotions. Jeanette, I'm so glad you're talking about this because I'm a big big, big component of how you start your day matters and not denying what's going on. Like a lot of people say, oh, Sandy, you're so joyful, pure joy. I'm like, step into my brain, you know, yeah, what moment yeah. are you in? And yeah. don't put that on me. I don't want to be always joyful, but just waking up and listening and feeling and where are you today? You know, if I wake up and I'm feeling anxious, I always have words that I reflect on. I might say, I want to show up with you know, peace or calm, ease and flow, not powerful, joyful, you know, I just want the next step up. But those few minutes in the morning make a huge, huge difference. Yes. And that's where I, I talk about it being the kind of conversation that's curious and kind and care driven, right? Hey, how am I in there right now? What's going on? Rather than, yeah. oh my God, you're not, see, there you are, you're, you're sore again from working out. See, you're getting old, whatever. Like that is not the kind of conversation I have with myself, like ever, because it doesn't lead to anything good. No. <laughs> You know, I can recognize, ooh, girlfriend, you need to take better, you know, you need to take better care there because you're getting a little more stiff and sore from, from working out. You're getting older. So what do you need so that you can keep being at the top of your game here? You know, yeah. I used to be a competitive gymnast when I was a kid and you oh. end up expecting a lot from yourself, but you also learn that you really have to be in your body and not in your head because the, the way we fall over our own feet is by being too much in our head. It's the same thing when I do public speaking. I don't try to be in my head or or remember anything. I have to trust that I know yeah. my stuff and it'll it'll be, you know, I've rehearsed, I've gone through it. I'm not being you know, I'm not just being loosey-goosey about it. <laughs> I've cared yeah. before yeah. I yeah. get started and then I trust that. Once I get started, then I trust that. And so all of these sort of inner critic kind of conversations, those are not the ones I'm referring to when I say have a chat with yourself. Okay, so let's jump into one of your points here, because I don't really understand it that much. But what if we have self-care wrong? I got that. We focus so much on habits. However, the mindset comes first. So I want more on that, Jeanette. Yes. And it's actually back to one of the questions you had earlier about how we create that change and so on and so yeah, forth. Because yeah. if our mindset is constantly caught in 
for example, the inner critic. If we're constantly uh, criticizing ourselves for not doing well and doing the right thing and we should ourselves for what we should be doing instead, that that's not how we cultivate new habits. And I think what we've learned is that self-care is all about all these healthy habits and what they should look like. Or maybe we have learned that self-care is that treat that we do, like when we go away somewhere and we have a spa thing or we buy something, you know, to put on our skin. Like right now, self-care products and self-care snacks and self-care this and self-care that is like a multi-billion dollar business. Yeah. And the reality is self-care doesn't cost anything. <sighs> Are you sure? <laughs> self-care is a mindset that says... I care about me. What do I need right now? Maybe that is a spot treatment, sure. And then it does cost money. But, you know, yeah. it's the little things throughout the day. What do I need right now? May just be a glass of water. Maybe I need to stretch. Maybe I need to go for a walk. Maybe I need to have a chat with somebody because we didn't resolve that thing and it's still bothering me. Self-care is how we have the inner dialogue all day long that says, okay, you can do this. What do you need so you can do this? You know, standing by ourselves, that's self-care. Yeah, yeah, Trusting yeah. in ourselves, being there for ourselves, that's self-care. So I think about it as being more self-caring. So it's not so much caring for, which self-care right now tends to be about the habits, but caring about. Okay, okay. And if that comes first, then the habits will follow automatically. Okay, so can you create over time a positive mindset by having a habit? For example, I'm going to every morning before I go out to bed, do a scan, do a body check, you know, ask what I need or take a few minutes to write in a journal. Is that a mindset with the habit? Exactly. That's the habit. And the mindset at first is I want to get to know myself better. Okay. I got gotcha. you. That, that's the mindset, it. right? The mindset says, I really want what's best for me. How do I get to know myself better and what I need? Mm, maybe I should journal at night. Maybe I could, um, maybe I could uh, go for a walk at night after dinner and just think a little bit instead of just Absolutely. ending up on the couch. Like those are the kinds of things where I like, this is what I could do to X, Y, and Z what it is I would like to do. Right. And so for me, for example, I'm, you know, turning 59 and what, two months or something. And um, and there's something in me that says, like, I want to be a badass 60-year-old. So what do I need so that I can keep taking care of myself in such a way that I stay, you know, healthy, that I stay, like, I, I don't get stiff and sore and achy and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of tiny little yeah. things that I can do and, and need to do throughout the day, not just from time to time. And so having that mindset of what I would like to to do for me then we start changing our habits. Okay, right on. Got it. And by the way, I love badass, you know, because it, <laughs> it has a whole different thing. Like it's like to me, I'm, I'm 61 and I'm like, bring it on. Like that's what I said when I turned 60. Like, yeah. and, I, and that made me do different things, you know, yeah. of how I cared for myself. Okay, I want to jump into this because this guy wrote me like three times. So he definitely wants this question answered. We're calling Billy Bob. He works for a big engineer company in the marketing department. Every time his boss sees him having fun and laughing, which he does to create, his boss gets the impression they're just goofing off. How can he change his boss's mindset that he's working even though he's happy? And then he says, are you kidding me? Isn't this an antiquated way of thinking? It is. It is an antiquated way of thinking. And there's a good chance that your boss 
is really struggling with being on survival mode and scared for uh, themselves that they're not doing a good enough job and it then oozes out because the ripple effect is ooh if i i can't have i can't have fun myself because i'm afraid of whatever so it's again this fear driven uh, situation so um when we want to care more for uh for and about ourselves in the workplace um the 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 way to to challenge some of these things is to ask questions and ask questions like maybe if possible to ask this boss hey i noticed that um when we laugh and have fun in the workday that it might come across as if we're not working hard enough is there something that would be helpful to understand about that is there something i can help because what actually happens Ooh. is that i'm a lot more uh, showing my joy of work that way and it's when i'm really engaged and my creativity is open and i can really be curious about things and that's that's when that opens up and it me really helps me work better so is there something like can we talk about it I and so really that. actually sort of coming from that where what I call care-driven conversations, because yeah. a lot of times we think of boundaries as this sort of like, I'm going to put up the wall and you can't break it down because this is my boundary. And I think of boundaries and saying, okay, how can we have this conversation about you understanding me, I'm understanding you, and then let's pick up that white picket fence between us where you end and I begin and we respect that boundary with each other because that's how we allow us uh, each to have agency in our own lives and especially in our workday. And I think one of the things that's really burning us out is feeling like we don't have a sense of agency. You know, I love that. It's so simple talking to your boss, you know, communication, saying, listen, this is what I need. It brings it to the attention, you know, and like you said, he may not even know he's doing it. Right. Yeah. Because he's on survival mode. And at the same time, I also want to acknowledge that it's really hard to go to your boss and start having that conversation the first time around. Yeah. Right. So yeah. maybe asking oneself, hey, what do I need so that I can have the courage to ask for a conversation? And, and, and maybe, you know, there's a lot of studies now about joy in the workplace and how fun helps us be more productive. Maybe, maybe it's good to have one of those to, to come along with the, with the conversation. Who knows? I don't know the boss on the workplace yeah. well enough, but, but that could maybe be an idea and just say, listen, I just want you to know that when I'm laughing and goofing around like that, it's actually one of the ways that I release stress and therefore can focus better. So I just don't want it to be misunderstood and that you think that I'm not not paying attention. Yeah. Oh God, I love that. You know, and that's a care-driven conversation because we care about the boss and ourselves yeah. and the work enough to actually enter into a courageous conversation about that. So uh, are there, a, there's a lot of companies that want to bring you in. So that's a good thing, right? They wouldn't bring you in if they didn't want to demystify self-care and rethink it. Yes. Um, a lot of companies are waking up to the need for a healthy workforce. Um, and one of the things that I think that um, helps the, the, the movement, if you can call it that, is that I don't think of well-being as just another well-being program. It's not another thing we have to add or another, um, you know, benefit. It's really understanding what drives uh, us as human beings. Uh. I didn't think of it that way. You're right. You're right. It's not, 
You're not trying to sell them another perk. Yeah, let me let me just say, I think it's great that we have the benefits. I think we need to have the benefits because that means we have access to resources. But that's not a well-being culture. That alone is not a well-being culture just because we have the benefits and the programs. A well-being culture is because we have healthy human relationships with each other, where we have good conversations, where we feel we belong, we're respected, people care about us, not just for us. And, and there's mindfulness in how we engage and interact with each other. That's a well-being culture because we feel safe. We feel, yeah. we feel important enough to, to feel that we, that it matters that we show up at work and that our work has value. It adds to the bigger whole. That's a well-being culture. It's a place we want to work, not just have to work. You know, Jeanette, I have a lot of people on this show with similar topics. I've never, ever heard somebody say that about self-care. It's brilliant. I've never. It's like when you're saying we have to demystify self-care, you're talking about it totally different than what has been mainstream. Self-care is a mindset that's running in the background entire time and it affects how we think because it affects how we think about ourselves and how we therefore think about others and how we perceive situations and how we approach Mm. problems. It, It affects how we engage with other people. And, and it's really much more about, do I care enough about myself, not just for myself? And that's the big difference, right? Caring for myself is the habit. Caring about myself is the mindset. I'm writing it down. I'm going to put it so big. About myself. Love it. Love it. So have you always been interested in this area? Probably. <laughs> um, I, th- I think I probably have, um, but haven't really completely really identified it until much later. My mother was bipolar. So growing up with her emotional and and mental unwellness and struggle and challenges and and being that happy, joyful person on the outside and really struggling on the inside, I I always felt like it was her relationship with herself was was really, really wounded and hurt. And I know why it was, because she was a, what you call an illegitimate child in the 30s when you uh, are born to a single mom and don't know your dad, right? And so she felt ousted. She felt like she wasn't, um, she wasn't, you know, respected and so on and so forth. And after, and so what's, what's sad actually really about this is that after she died, I had a conversation with my grandmother and my grandmother said, oh, I hope that I'm not really the one that's to blame for your mom having breast cancer and, and, um, you know, because Oof. they both had had breast cancer. My grandmother had breast cancer twice. My mother had breast cancer breast cancer three times. But she also referred to her depression, I I think. And I said, well, (laughs) grandma, you know, it's kind of like, it wasn't the best childhood. She goes, what are you talking about? What? Yeah. She said, what are are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, she wasn't wanted. You were going to adopt her away. And, and, you know, she stayed with your father instead of you. And, you know, uh, it was a tough childhood. She didn't, she didn't belong. She didn't fit in. She didn't feel want it. And she goes, and my grandmother, I'm glad I had this conversation. And at the same time, oh my gosh, what, what a turnaround. My, my grandmother said, no, your mother was a love child. I wanted oh. to keep her. I begged to not adopt her away. I begged to keep wow. her in the family. I went every weekend. I was sent away to complete my um, education 
And I came every weekend to see her. Everybody in town loved her and took care of her. And I I was just, I wanted to marry the man that got me pregnant, but he was too old for me. So I, I was told no. And so I'm like, oh, well, God, my mother, had she known that story, but she never asked. Yeah. So there was so much assumption and it and it painted, it, it created this relationship she had with herself. Yeah. And and it affected her entire life. Everything she did, every, how she took care of herself, the, the habits, the how, she, the how she cared for herself, but also how she engaged with other people, assuming that she wasn't good enough. And it, it affected how she showed up um, in terms oh. of not having any ambition or thinking that she was good enough to get a job and so on and so forth. So that... It, that wound affected everything in her life. And it's actually quite sad, to be honest. It's a, it's a really sad story. My mother had a good life in many other ways, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and, and was loved by my dad and I and, and so on and so forth. And we were safe and we were all of those things. But, but the, the emotional and mental distress that she was in. And I think already, like, through my childhood, I understood that it was her relationship and her inner dialogue that was so much part of her uh, daily struggle with emotional and mental health. And as a child, I, I became a little coach. I became her little coach, helping her focus on what was working, what she could be grateful wow. for, you know, all of those things. And obviously, I didn't know what I was doing, but, you know. I, was it it just means I, I just knew that I had to help her refocus her mindset. So, and, and that's what self-care is about. Self-care is about refocusing our mindset to what we have agency over. And one of them is challenging the story we're telling ourselves about who we are. Sure. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I think that's such a great example of how we build up all these things in our heads. They're usually negative when we don't know answers. And I hope this encourages people to go talk to their grandparents or their parents. Yeah. Even just asking that question, right? Even yeah. asking the questions. And that goes back to the boss, right? Asking the question, what do you yeah. expect of me? How, how, how do you measure that I'm successful? What do you yeah. need from me so that you know that I really care about my job? Like all mm. those kinds of questions are not normally questions we, we, um, we ask. And therefore we are working in doubt and we, we don't have clarity of, of what's expected of us. What would good look like? Uh, my dad, who was an executive search consultant, always said, make sure you ask how you're being measured. What does good look like? What are the expectations of you? How will you know that you're doing a good job? Because if not, you're going to spend all your time wondering what yeah. other people think of you. And that yeah. is not how you do your best work. And yet that is how most of us live at work every single day. Yeah. It's very rare. I can tell you that people say, what do you expect of me? You know, how can I approve? What do you need? Uh, this is how I work best. It's, it's crazy. All right. So, Jeanette, what did you go to college for? What did you go to school for? At first, I, well, I, I, uh, my, in Denmark, I, um, was in business school and studied languages and business and marketing. And, um, I always wanted to travel. I always work, wanted to work internationally. Then I went to school for design. Uh, because I was also interested in the fashion industry. Realized design wasn't for me, but fashion was. And so I started in the fashion business. Um, I worked with Esprit. I started, I, I helped them uh, start up their retail uh, stores in Europe and worked a lot on culture already then. We didn't call it culture. We just called it work. Um, but, um, but the culture at Esprit back in the 
in the in the uh, late eight in in the eighties and late eighties was already what we are trying to do here now. To be honest, like everybody it was mandatory that everybody went to lunch together. Not so much that we could, you know, partly because we had to eat, but partly because yeah. it just fostered that sense of belonging and trust and teamwork that um, was so powerful at that company. So um, I worked with a SPE and then I decided, I, I met someone and we we decided to get married so that I could come with him to the US. Uh, I did so and unfortunately had to start my career completely over uh, because for some reason I couldn't convince people that at 26 I had all the talents that I said I had, <laughs> even though I had been running a retail organization yeah. with 50 people in, in Europe. So I had to start over at some as um, as somebody's assistant, but it was at Knoll at um, a furniture company and I really got embedded in that whole design world and really loved it and started studying graphic design and all kinds of other things to really explore my own creativity and my own sort of sense of, of what do I want and who am I and so on and so forth. Um, at the same time, I also started studying Buddhism because I thought, you know, the way I came to Buddhism was because I thought, well, um, the Japanese were really good at marketing and I wanted to understand why they were better at marketing than anyone else <laughs> at the time. And, I, and it came to the beginner's mind and that sort of Zen yeah. of, of like looking at things as information, not as a story, right? Which is very, yeah. which is very much what I still do, right? We look at things as information, but not the story we get stuck in. Yeah. And so I started studying Buddhism, and so I started doing that already in the early '90s. And so mindfulness and Buddhism has been very much part of what informs me, and part of the work I do today. Without calling it that, I, I, yeah. I call it mindfulness, but not Buddhism, because it's that relationship with self that shows up in everything that we do and in our relationship with other people. That's a very Buddhist mindset, actually. Yes. And so uh, self care is a really Buddhist mindset too. This is not about the habits, but about the relationship we have with ourselves. So, so in essence, that started already then. Then I added, then, you know, after the fashion business and all of that, and I wanted to change my life and help people be healthy and happy and, and, and busy at the same time, I went back to school and started studying um, uh, integrative nutrition therapy and mind-body medicine and meta-medicine and all these kinds of things. I was really fascinated by what makes us sick and what makes us healthy. And so I did all kinds of studies around that. And I have also since added hypnotherapy because I love how the brain works and understanding how our unconscious mind is in charge all the time. And we might as well learn how to use it productively, <laughs> yes. uh, which is part of why I, I work with changing the question. Because when you change the question, you work, you change how the unconscious mind is working for you rather than against you. We tend to ask, why is this not working? And then the unconscious mind goes, okay, I'll try to figure that out for you. And then we just <laughs> dig a deeper hole versus saying, hmm, I recognize this is not working. What do I need so I can make it work? And the unconscious mind goes, you just go do what you want to do. And I'll think about that over here and figure it out while you're not looking. Because that's what the unconscious mind does, right? And that's how we get so stuck in the negative. That's how we get so stuck in that negativity bias. And we can really, if we can pause, that's why I call it power pausing, if we can pause for just a moment and really recognize what is my mind doing right now and how can I help it work for me, mm -hmm. that's self-care, right? So anyway, so that was a hypnotherapy piece. That's why I was so interested in that. And then I also um, added felt sense focusing. And the reason why is because it works with pausing. It works with pausing and that inner 
inner relationship of letting let, letting that question, hey, how am I in there? Like really allowing that to open up and really allowing that conversation and that that um, relationship to to evolve. So the felt sense focusing was originally part of Gene Jenling and Carl Rogers asking the question, why are some people successful in therapy and others are stuck? And then they develop this whole way. It's a, it's basically a, a way of working uh, that is a, is about that in, inner dialogue, that inner attention, that inner pause, that inner question. And uh, that's a big part of what I also do today, right? When I, when I talk about power pausing, I talk about yeah. creating that space to really uh, ask inside. <sighs> Can I come to one of your workshops? I mean, I am in love with you, by the way. I mean, everything you're saying, what you're putting out in the world, all the little pieces, how you bring it to your work. Ah, uh, I'm getting tingles here, by mm, the way. Thank tingles. you. It's so needed. I'm so grateful you're on the show. And by the way, just a little note, a little birdie told me that you're the bomb with fashion <laughs> and that... Sandy, she's like, you would love her clothes. She is hip. She's funky. She is to point. So I just want to point that out. <laughs> I wish they could see you, but we'll attach a picture. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I do. I do love fashion because I do think of it not as so much getting attached to the brand that expresses us, but how we use something to express ourselves. And also, you know, Fashion is so like what you wear is so much part of how you feel. And so I think of the way we dress ourselves and the clothes is a way that we can come into that relationship with ourselves that says, what do I need today so I can feel a little bit more relaxed or powerful or this or that. And and we use clothes that way too, whether that's conscious or unconscious. Well, I know because when we were doing stuff from home and no one was seeing us or just the up top Zoom and people were like in their jammies, it's a different feel. Like I get dressed up whether you can see me or not because I feel better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I yeah. sit up tall whether you can see me or not. And yeah. It makes yeah. a difference, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah, I bought some really funky slippers during COVID because I like wearing slippers, but I needed more funky ones that didn't feel so homey, but more yeah. felt like street slippers. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> Whatever works. I love it. Oh my God. I can't believe I don't have much time and I have so many questions, but I got to get this one in. What was it like being at the UN? Come mm. on. Oh, I watched you. It was awesome sauce. Oh, you were so on point. Tell them, tell them, tell them. You know, it's so interesting because it was a friend of mine that brought me along and with a couple of other women that are some, that are people that I really um, adore and love for the work they do and who they are as human beings and how they care in the world. Um, and, um, and I didn't know what to expect. And so we walked in there and the opening speaker spoke to these young entrepreneurs from across the globe about self-care. Oh, the first thing she said was, remember as entrepreneurs, as young women, you are not going to succeed if you don't take care of yourself in the process of reaching your goals. And I was like, amen. <laughs> and so, yes. and I was right like, day, right day for you. Dang, you know, and that was the opening speaker from the UN. And she, that was her personal experience from having burned out and all those things. And I was like, dang, I landed right in the right place to have the conversation. And, and, um, it was great. It was, it was amazing. It was a packed room and it was one of those where you were, you're thinking, I, I wonder, I wonder how many 
rooms in this big, big, big place is filled with amazing people who care about something in the world right now, and they're speaking up about it, or they're engaging with each other about it, and they're sitting here because they want to create change in the world. And I just thought that was just, that was just such a beautiful and amazing experience for me. Oh, I know. I kept watching it, by the way. I was just, I was like there with you and so excited for you. Oh. Yeah. And it was really young, you know, it's really young entrepreneurs across the world that, that created impact in their small communities. Oh. Some that just were like trying to figure out how to, you know, reduce waste and, and uh, some that were trying to figure out how to have more access to water. And like, they were all coming up with these projects that would help their small communities anywhere from like in India and like all... I, across the globe like amazing like every every oh. like so many different countries were represented and it was just and they were young and they were they were ambitious and i was like dang these and, and a lot of them were women um there's a few men but i think it was there was really focused mostly on women entrepreneurs and i was just like yeah. wow it's just amazing love it love it love it love it i'm so thrilled that you had that experience and people you can watch it so you can watch you go to our website you'll be able to watch it you'll, you'll live vicariously all right i want to i know we touched on this but before we wrap up i just want to dive into a little bit more about this we tend to solve the wrong problem when we are stressed and i know you talked about power pausing but i just want you to tell us about that because it's so true Yes. You know how in healthcare we often fix the symptom rather yes. than the root cause yes. of the symptom? So it's really, it's really um, relative to sort of functional medicine and how we need to ask more questions to really find the root cause of something. And so, for example, as that example I gave about the, the guy that asked about the boss not thinking that he was working yeah. when he was being joyful, the root cause of that is potentially her own or the, the, the boss. I don't remember if it's a female or male boss, but their own insecurities or fear around not, not, um, reaching the goals. And so if we can ask more questions, we can, we can solve the right problem rather than just running to fix the symptom of what's not working right now. So for example, when I was working in marketing, they sent me out to the warehouse to work with the workers for five weeks. And I was stacking porcelain cups. I was working with Royal Copenhagen in Denmark. I was stacking cups. I was packing boxes. I was doing all those things because they said, well, if you don't understand how it works, where, where the, all the way through the organization, you're not going to find where the problem is when something goes wrong because you're just going to fix what you know. Yeah. And a lot of times when we're running on stress, we're just going to fix the immediate problem of what we're seeing right now. And we're going to be chasing our tail potentially and fixing a lot of problems that are not actually changing anything. And when we can pause for a little bit longer and just say, okay, so if this is what's happening, what, why is it happening? Not from that critical question, but from the curious question. What is it that's not... What is it that's getting out of whack here? What's not working? Why is it happening? Where, where, where does it come from? If we can be curious about that and really understand that, when we also need to ask, well, what's the purpose here? Why does this matter? What are we trying to achieve? Are we just maybe working on the, on the wrong, like fixing the wrong problem when maybe there's another way? So a lot of times we get stuck in only solving what has gone wrong, but we're not looking at, well, what is it we're trying to achieve and is there another way to achieve it? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's similar to, it's similar to when you feel tired because you didn't get enough sleep. 
then you're going to try to look at that and be like, oh my God, I didn't get enough sleep. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm going to fix tired. What's my first way of fixing tired? It's by, you know, drinking more coffee. Where instead, if you can ask, okay, well, I'm feeling tired. What I really need is more energy so that I can focus for, let's say, another three hours. What do I need so that I can focus for another three hours and have more energy? Now you're solving the right problem. So it goes, it goes into that way too, but it also goes into under stress. We're looking for what's not working rather than how to make it work. And the negativity bias kicks in because that's just how stress works. So if we can't sort of slow down, pause for a moment, still our nervous system a little bit, land in our bodies a little bit, and then be curious and keep asking questions that are leading towards solving the problem rather than what's wrong with it, then then we're starting to move more towards solving the right problem, which is how do we make it work? You know, it, it seems just like a slight switch in the questions you're asking. It is. Yes. That's what I love about it. It's a slight switch, but it's using how we function as human beings. When we're under stress, we're automatically looking at the pothole and we're yep. trying to fix the pothole yep. rather than looking at, well, where do I need, how do I need to steer past the pothole? Because maybe the pothole doesn't need to get fixed. It's just there. I always used to say, you're just putting a Band-Aid on it. <laughs> you know, that's what you're right. doing. It's just, yeah, yeah it's. And it doesn't work. Yeah. Have you ever tried to fix a pothole by filling more stones and sand in it? Yeah. They're doing it right outside my window today. Yeah. So the pothole is going to come back. The pothole yeah. keeps coming back. It doesn't go yeah. away. You have to completely yeah. take away everything. But maybe you don't need to fix the pothole. Maybe you just need to drive past it. And so it's this, I, I'm not saying do, not fix the pothole in your street, but <laughs> please. <laughs> no, it's this idea that at work when we're, we're, we get a little stuck in the problems because we tend to, you know, we, we tend to focus so much on being right, not having failure, all of those things. And so we're trying to fix the problem rather than looking at this. How do we actually achieve the solution? Now I got it. Boom. Okay. Well, I'm sad. We have to wrap up. Are you ready for rapid fire? Ooh, I guess so. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. And, what and do I need the... so I can be ready for rapid fire? Okay. Take a breath. <sighs> exhale. Put my feet on the ground. And Dance. I'm ready. Shake around. You ready? Yes. And by the way, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I can't wait to post this. All right. Now, here you go. This is a very difficult question. What's your favorite color? Yeah, I think it's actually green. Green. Yeah. I think it, it is actually today. is green, but I also do love orange. Can I have two colors? You can. You can. This is your show, baby. All right. <laughs> green and orange. Favorite food? Kale. Oh, please. I know you... it's weird, right? I don't know. There's just something about kale that's just, I can use it with everything. <laughs> I mean, I love kale, but I'm going to pick pasta, specifically in Italy, but okay. Yeah. I All like right. sweet potatoes, too. Okay. okay. <laughs> There's the green and orange again. Oh, there we go. <laughs> you know what? It is. Yeah. All right. There is correlation. Okay. Is there a book in the last year that you've read that you'd like to recommend? Oh, my gosh. There are so many books that I've read. It depends on what you need from your book. Just one of your faves. Yeah. You know, a, a a, a little book that I think everybody should read is Exactly What to Say by Phil M. J Phil M. Jones, because Ooh. it is a very much very aligned with what I do as well in terms of switching the words that then facilitate a different connection. Gotcha. Um, and he works uh, with some of these same. And, and you know, it's so funny. He also comes from a retail background. When I first heard him on a podcast, it was just amazing because I was like, wait a minute, he has the same background as me. I love him. And then we actually <laughs> met in person. He's now a friend. 
I love that. And I, by the way, I got zillions of books, but I don't have that one. So, and it's small, tiny, and it's like a little helping friend. Oh, I like that. Okay. If you were going to be an animal, what kind of animal would you be? And why? Oh, panther for sure. Really? Yeah. I love panthers. I think they're, they're mysterious. They're beautiful. They seem like they pause before they actually move. You know how we often think of these animals yeah. as just attack animals, but, and, and maybe it's also because I've seen one of those little clips where you have a panther playing with a Rottweiler and they're just so cute. And I have a Rottweiler. That's my dog. Oh, and the name of the Rottweiler? My Rottweiler is Maya. Maya. Which means illusion. Does it really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Rottweiler I had to, before her uh, was called Satya, which means truth. Just two sides of the same coin. Oh, my friend's little therapy horsey is named Maya. I don't even think she knows what it means. Yeah. yeah. Got to tell her that. Okay. What would one of your favorite days look like from morning to night? What would you do if you could do anything? You know, I admittedly, I do love to work because I love the work I do. Um, and at the same time, I do think that a favorite day would be something like getting up, getting outside, being in nature, uh, spending some time with friends, exercising somehow, movement, whatever that looks like, who knows, whatever I'm in the mood for in that moment. If it's outside, that's the best. And then um, cooking dinner with friends would be lovely too. Reading a little bit, reading a book. Yeah. And um, so that would be a favorite day off. Uh, a favorite day working is somewhat similar in the sense of getting up, getting outside, going for a walk with my dog, getting some food and making sure I'm ready for the day. And then I just love the work I do and being engaged with people, speaking engagements. I love, I love coaching. I love helping companies just really understand how to take better care of their people. And also yeah. what, what really like, digging into what drives people and what they care about so that we can really create change because change is really what I live for, I have to admit. <laughs> and then, you know, finishing the yeah. day with some cooking with friends maybe or something like that, <laughs> reading a good book or watching a good movie. Okay, so guilty pleasure. Do you have any guilty pleasures? Mm, I do. Um, I love a good sake. Um, I love, um, there's a vegan ice cream I really love. Um, I'm lactose intolerant, so regular okay. ice cream is not on my program. I love a good glass of wine, um, and I love, I have an alcohol-free beer that I, I like, I like to drink at night to sort of like be like, hey, I can drink an alcohol-free beer because it's not going to affect me. And it feels like a nice way to look, sort of end the day. So those feel like, those feel like guilty pleasures in a way, but then again, <laughs> I, don't feel, the I don't feel guilty over them though. <laughs> No, those are the healthiest guilty pleasures I ever heard. But that's a really whole dark chocolate. Podcast. You know, those those to me are not. They're, they're just pleasures. They're not necessarily. Yeah, they're just pleasures. pleasures. Not guilty pleasures. Yeah. Not like I eat pepperoni pizza or a row of Oreos. But that's a whole other thing. All right. When I say the word universe, what does it mean to you, Jeanette? Connection. Can I tell you why? Oh well, you can. Of course, you can. When I was a little girl, my dad, especially when I was scared, he would take me outside to look at the stars. And he would say, look at all of those stars. That's the universe. And they're connecting all of us. And I felt really like, this is going to sound weird. I always feel the most belonging when I stare at the stars. So I don't know what that makes me, but let's not go there. <laughs> that makes you connected is what it makes you. <laughs> that you know there's something bigger than you out there. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, I and, I, and I think we're all part of it. Of course. And by the way, you can't see my room, but they call it where I record my blue room. And it's got all these little water fountains and Buddhas everywhere mm. and angels. 
everyone. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, I have a teacup in my hand that says soul on it. Oh, I love meetings on teacups. They make me happy. Oh, they make me happy. All right, Jeanette, this has made me so happy. But before we go, how can they reach you? How can they find you? Depends on what you want to find me for and reach me for. But everywhere <laughs> <Okay>. under... <laughs> Everywhere okay. <laughs> you'll find me on the Jeanette Bonnet. So my corporate work and the way I work with leaders and things like that is under JeanetteBonnet.com. If you're just interested in uh, my blog posts, which I admittedly have not been focusing on for quite a while, it's PathForLife.com. And um, I'm on social media everywhere under Jeanette Bonnet. I'm on LinkedIn under Jeanette Bonnet. And I think I'm the only one in the world with that name. So you will find me. That's true. I remember when I looked you up, you are the only one, but bam, it popped up. All right, Jeanette, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And my let's keep it real people, I know you're going to want to share, like, rate. Ah, this has brought me beyond joy. I know it's going to bring everyone who's listening joy to their life and a different way of thinking of self-care. And you know what I'm going to say until next time. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.